Lord, as we have faced in this last week so much trial, so much heartache, so many reminders of our need for Jesus, Lord, I pray that these events would drive us to repentance and drive us to desperation for Christ. Lord, I'm thinking about the families in Texas, Uvalde, who are grieving as so many precious lives are snuffed out such young ages, such beautiful faces. Lord, we grieve where we are as a nation. Lord, we've set ourselves free from what we thought were unloving boundaries of the Most High we've sown to the wind and we've reaped the whirlwind. Lord, I pray that you would forgive us. Lord, I pray that you would help us as churches to stand firm for righteousness and justice and truth in this world. Lord, help us to show what it means to Stand on the truth and help us to show what it means to love our neighbor as ourselves. Help us to show the gospel of Jesus Christ through our lives, but not only our lives. Give us boldness to share the gospel with the people around us as the only hope for this nation, as the only hope for the world, and as the only hope for this generation. Lord, give us boldness to be about Christ. Lord, I pray for those who are grieving. Lord, those who are suffering. Those who are mourning these great losses and have unspeakable holes in their hearts and lives and at their dinner tables and at their, in the pews in their services this morning. Lord, I pray that you would comfort them with the comfort that only you can give. Lord, we also grieve today about the report that was released last week of great evil that has been done in many of our churches. Some cover-ups and some foolishness, even wickedness that's happening in our own denomination. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, that those who are guilty, Lord, would be found and they would come to justice. Lord, I pray that you would raise up a generation and thank you for almost every pastor that I know that is standing firm for righteousness and truth and what is right. Lord, I pray that you would protect people in our church and give us wisdom on how to proceed from here. Lord, I thank you in our church that indeed we do care about these things and we do care for righteousness and we do care for protection of our folks. 
give us even more wisdom in the days ahead. Give us wisdom as a church and as a denomination. Lord, I pray that you would help us too. That the decisions made in the days ahead would be for the furtherance of the gospel and to fix broken systems. But Lord, I know that even though systems are broken, that there are many lives that are broken. And so, Lord, I do pray that you would mend hearts, that you would work in souls and draw people to yourself. Lord, these are just evidences of our great need to turn back to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work in our souls, in our hearts, in our lives, in our churches, and all of us individually to turn our hearts back to Jesus. Lord, call us to repentance where need be. Lord, help us to be bold to call for repentance when we need to. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize that our only hope, our only help is Jesus Christ. So Lord, may these days serve to drive us to a new and fresh desperation for Jesus. Lord, you're our only help in these times of need. Lord, speak to us as we open your word. We thank you for your truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and grab a Bible and open it with me to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, that would be in the Old Testament. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. So almost in the center of your Bible, the book of Psalms is really at the center. And if you go a few books to the right, you will find the book of Ecclesiastes. So this summer, we are actually going to be walking through this great book, one of my favorite books, actually, of the Old Testament. And today, we'll walk through Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and we will find out that life is meaningless without Jesus. Life is meaningless without Jesus. The only way life can find meaning is in Jesus Christ. So let's read together. Beginning of verse 1, we'll read through verse 18. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, panting. It returns to the place where it rises, gusting to the south and turning to the north. Turning, turning goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. The eye is not satisfied by seeing, or the ear filled with hearing. What has been done, what has been, is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Can, can one say about anything, look, this is new. It has already existed in ages before us. There is no remembrance of those who came before. And of those who will come after, there will be no remembrance by those who follow them. 
I, the teacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I have seen all things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, see, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this too is a pursuit of the wind. For with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for the unique and wonderful honesty of this passage. And Lord, even as here we are in the wisdom literature of Scripture, Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom to rightly interpret these things. And, O Lord, see them from this side of the cross and always in light of our Savior, the one Jesus Christ who gives meaning to it all. And so, Lord, I thank you for this book and what it means to us as believers today. And so, Lord, I pray in this journey this summer that you would bless our efforts to try to unpack it and, Lord, help it to be a rich blessing to our lives. Lord, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our lives really are monotonous, aren't they? It's why the movie Groundhog Day was so popular. <laughs> and why it's still popular today and why it has endured. In this particular movie, the weatherman, who is played by Bill Murray, his name is Phil Collins. He relives, or Phil Collins, goodness, Phil Connors. <laughs> Phil Collins was the drummer for Genesis, right? And this is, uh, <laughs> this is uh, Phil Connors. Let's try that again. He relives February 2nd over and over and over again in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. Every day he wakes up and it's February 2nd once again. What he did on the previous day didn't matter at all. And it was like the previous day didn't even exist. Every time he got up in the morning, ah, it's February 2nd again, and I can't get out of this endless cycle. So what does he do? After he figures out what's going on, after a while, he just, he first of all throws himself into pleasure. I'm going to do everything pleasurable. If it, doesn't if it doesn't matter, I am just going to seek after pleasure with everything I've got. If it feels good, do it. Drink coffee straight from the pot? Yes. Oh, yeah, I'm totally going to do that. Eat everything in sight? Rob an armored car? Go buy a new car? Go buy a new wardrobe? Fine. Doesn't matter. Tomorrow I'm going to wake up. It's all going to be gone, and it will be February 2nd again. That lasts for a little while. <laughs> and then he finds there is no meaning in that at all. And then he goes into despair as he wakes up again and again and again to the same song. Babe, dun, 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 dun. I got you, babe. Sonny and Cher. <laughs> 
every day. Same song, same verse, same thing. Nothing matters. He turns to despair. It doesn't matter. He turns to knowledge, gets a PhD. Doesn't matter. He tries hobbies, piano, ice sculpting. Huh? Doesn't matter. French poetry, nothing matters. In one scene, he is hanging out with his buds at the, at the bowling alley, and he, he looks over to his buds, and he asks the question, what would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was the same and nothing you did ever really mattered? One of his buds looks into his beer mug, and he says, yep, that about sums it up for me. <laughs> And some of you feel this way. What is life like on a typical Monday? You get up, you take a shower, you get dressed, you drink some coffee, hopefully you read your Bible, you get the kids up, you go to work, you work, you go to lunch, you go back to work, you go home, you cook breakfast, you clean up after breakfast, you watch a little TV, maybe you take a walk and get some exercise, and then you go to bed. Oh, good. What, what does Tuesday look like? <laughs> it's a lot the same, isn't it? In fact, during the pandemic, some of, some of you just said, it just feels so mundane. It's hard to even tell what day it is. In fact, I heard one person said, I, I just call them day now. They don't have any differentiation to them at all. And so we often search for escapes from the monotony, from the mundaneness. We search for escapes in entertainment. We search for escapes in work and substances. But the treadmill is relentless. Time marches on for us all. Do you feel uncomfortable yet? You should. Because the book of Ecclesiastes points out some very uncomfortable realities that you might be very surprised that they are actually talked about in the Bible. In scripture. I love the book of Ecclesiastes because it is so real and painfully honest about life. It talks about the kinds of things that folks just don't like to talk about. If this resonates with you, then the book of Ecclesiastes really is for you. What Solomon is going to say here in this book is a philosophical journey that so many in our age are on. And yet this journey will not leave you in meaninglessness. It will not leave you in vanity of vanities. It will leave you with hope, hope in Jesus Christ when you realize that that is the only place that meaning in life can come from. Meaning in life has to come from Jesus. But I love this book because it doesn't just give us the straightforward answers all up front. It takes us on a journey. It gives voice to the things that we so often think as people who are living in a post-Eden, pre-redemption world. When the redemption comes in all of its fullness at the return of the King. What is it like to live between the times? Now, we need to remember this is wisdom literature. I remember the very first time when I, when I taught, I've never preached through this book, but I've taught through it. The first time that I've taught through the book of Ecclesiastes was actually in Africa. It was in Uganda at Gaba Bible Institute. Now it's called African Christian, African Renewal University. 
But I was there for a couple of weeks, and I got to teach through the wisdom literature, the book of, the book of Proverbs, the book of Job, and Ecclesiastes, and, and yes, Song of Solomon, we actually got to that in, uh, in Africa, and that was interesting. <laughs> but it was fascinating. I love to teach through that, because the way the different wisdom books work together to give us wisdom. So the book of Proverbs comes in and says, this is the way things are. That if you do this, very mechanical, if you do this, then this will happen. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. If A, then B, it is a very sowing and reaping understanding of the way life works. If you live your life according to these principles, then it will turn out well for you. Then the book of Job comes in and says, yeah. <laughs> but if you take a snapshot of the moment, you might realize that even the righteous suffer. And the book of Job answers the question, or seeks to struggle with the issue of why do the righteous sometimes suffer? And then the book of Ecclesiastes comes in and says, look, sometimes life in this post-Eden world really is monotonous. And sometimes there will be a struggle to find meaning, and the only way you can find meaning is not under the sun, but it's when somebody beyond the sun comes and gives meaning to life to those who are living under the sun. That is the point of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's helping us to understand wisdom in all of its nuances, in all of its full dimensions. So in our time together today, I want to walk through this chapter verse by verse, and we're going to encounter the author, his struggle, some of the key ideas and phrases that are going to be used throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, through all 12 chapters of this book. And then in the end, we will summarize what we've learned in this first chapter. Chapter. So if you're looking for the points that you got in your sermon notes, those won't come to the very end of what we're going to walk through today. So first question I want to begin with is, who is Koheleth? Who is Koheleth? And why in the world did I say Koheleth? What in the world does that mean? That's the name of the author. So when you look here, it says in verse 1, the words of the teacher. The word teacher there is the word Koheleth. Koheleth. This simply is translated the teacher. In verse 12, again, he calls himself the teacher, king over Israel in Jerusalem. Now, he doesn't actually ever give his name, but he does say he is a son of David, he is a king over Israel, and he has more wisdom than any other king, than any other person before him. So who is this Kohelet could be translated teacher. Maybe it's translated preacher. Who is this wisdom writer? You may even say pastor here in Ecclesiastes. Well, in verse 13 through 18, the teacher says, I'm going to go on a quest to use all of my vast wisdom, to use all of my vast wealth and power to find, is there any meaning in this life? Is there any meaning found in this world under the sun? And so, who do I think the author is in this book? Who do you think it is? Solomon, yeah, yeah. I think it's actually Solomon. Now, there are some who are, who are conservative authors that say, no, this is actually somebody later who is, who is interpreting Solomon's life through the lens of Solomon. 
And that could be right as well, but I don't take that view. My view is actually Solomon actually wrote this book. I think it's a self-commentary on his own life. Now, we think about Solomon, and it fits the description of Solomon. Solomon, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Nobody after Solomon could be king in Jerusalem, right? King over Israel in Jerusalem, because after Solomon, the kingdom was divided, right? And he would have said king of Judah. So we know that it probably has to be Solomon in this particular case. Now, we know Solomon early on in his life, when he was very young, he was in prayer, and he was in prayer, God gave him this blessing. He says, anything that you ask for in prayer, I will give you right now. And what, it, what was it that Solomon asked for? He asked for wisdom. And because he asked for wisdom and not great riches and fame and power and all of those other things, God blessed him with wisdom in abundance, more wisdom than anybody else. God blessed him with wisdom and also gave him kingdom, gave him rule, gave him power, gave him fame, gave him all of these things more than anybody else in the world so that he could go on this pursuit that we find here in the book of Ecclesiastes to see, can I find meaning anywhere in the world other than in eternity, other in my, in my relationship with God? Now, we know it all went to his head eventually. This wisest man in the world eventually became a greedy, lustful, power-hungry, idolatrous fool who had 700 wives, 300 concubines, and eventually became an idol worshiper whose kids split the kingdom in two. Wow. Pretty tragic end. This book shows us that those in our world and our society, and many of you, who say, if I just had, then I'd be happy. If I just had more money, if I just had better looks, if I just had more hair. <laughs> Not in the notes. <laughs> if I just had more power, if I just had better friends, if, if, I, if, I, just had, if I just had a better job, then I'd be more happy. Yeah, right. This book is a quest that shows that seeking for meaning, seeking after joy under the sun, S-U-N, will lead to a futile pursuit. That search will never come to an end until you find your joy and delight in satisfaction in God. Mick Jagger was right. In this world, you can't get no satisfaction, right? <laughs> you can't find it. So why should we listen to such an idolater about the meaning of life? Here, I think we have Solomon at the end of his life. I think we have Solomon at the end of his journey, and he's looking back on his life and said, I've tried it all, and the only way you can find meaning is in your relationship with God. Because look, we don't like to think about it in our culture, but the reality is, is death is going to catch us all. The Grim Reaper is coming for everybody, like the world might say. Death is coming for us all. And therefore, we better find meaning somewhere else 
than in this transient, temporary world. That is Kohelet's point, Solomon's point. So what does this king have to, say, have to say? Well, let's walk through this chapter, the struggle to find meaning. In verse 2, we're introduced to the main idea of the book of Ecclesiastes. It won't be fully resolved until, until chapter 12. Absolute futility, meaningless, vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. The word that he uses there for vanity or meaningless or emptiness is the word hevel, hevel. The word hevel, H-E-V-E-L, if you're writing it out in English, H-E-V-E-L, it simply means wind. Many times in the Old Testament it is translated wind. And the description that he gives here, he says, vanity of vanities, meaningless of meaningless. He is using a construction that's, that is really the superlative in, in Hebrew. When he is utilizing this construction, it's similar, it's a similar construction as holy of holies, the holiest place you can think of. And so here when he says vanity of vanities, he's saying life is as meaningless as you could possibly get to. It is, it is like dust in the wind, dude, as Bill and Ted might, uh, might say. This is 40 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, he uses this word, vanity, vanity of vanities, pointless of pointlessnesses, if there was such a word, 40 times, uncomfortable yet, oh my goodness, the book of James talks a little bit about this, and utilizing the Greek translation of the same word, he says this, he says, or actually, it's a different word there in James. It's the same idea. He says this, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Isn't that what life is like? You know what life is like? It's like if you have a birthday candle and blow it out and you try to grab the smoke that is produced from the smoldering wick, the very act of reaching out and trying to grasp that smoke is the very thing that will cause it to dissipate even faster. That is what life is like. It is short. It goes by like that. And so what are we to do with it? So fleeting, so transient, so short. What is life like? Then in verses 2 through 11, he describes one aspect of life. It just seems to be on this groundhog day monotonous cycle on the treadmill over and over and over again. Look at verse 2. He says, absolute futility, says the teacher, absolute futility. And then in verse 3, what does a person gain for all of his efforts? What does he, that he labors at under the sun? Now, the first key word that we need to remember in the book of Ecclesiastes is the book Hevel. That is the word meaningless, or the word wind, or the word, the word uh, vanity. The second phrase that will appear over and over and over again is in verse 3, and it's the word under the sun, the phrase under the sun. That is critical to interpreting the book of Ecclesiastes. Mark it down, highlight it. You'll see it 30 times in this book, 29 times in this book. Under the sun, under the sun. 
He is limiting his search. It's absolutely critical. Limiting his exploration. It's like a good scientist doing an investigation. I'm not going to say, I know everything there is to know about this topic. No, I have very much limited my search. Under the sun. S-U-N. He is limiting his search to finding meaning in this world. Apart from eternity and apart from finding it in God himself. Can I find meaning in this ultimate meaning, ultimate life, in the world that God has created? Is that where I can find significance? Is it in this life alone? What will you find if you try? Friend, that makes, in my mind, that makes Ecclesiastes one of the most modern, relevant books in the whole Bible. Because that is what everybody is doing today. Can I find meaning in this world? Can I find meaning in wealth, in power, in business, in stuff, in whatever it is? Everybody's on this search. And the reason why they're coming up empty and feeling so empty is because they have, beca- they, they have started to realize there is no meaning in this world apart from something out beyond the sun from something outside of our broken, sin-sick universe that can give meaning to those who live under the sun, that can give meaning to this existence. Can you find significance in this life alone? That is Kohelet's quest. It's the pursuit of our age. Then in verses 4 through 7, Solomon provides four illustrations from creation illustrating his point that life on earth is meaningless, that there is just this endless cycle, this endless treadmill that we're on, that there's nothing to gain under the sun. And it's interesting, the order of his illustrations. The order of his illustrations is earth, fire, wind, and water. (laughs) And this is hundreds of years before Aristotle said those were the four elements, right? (laughs) So fascinating. Verse Three, he talks about fire. He talks about the sun. Actually, let's go back to verse, uh, uh, verse four. He talks about the earth. A generation goes and a generation comes. Notice the order. He didn't say a generation comes and a generation goes. This is a man at the end of his life. He's considering he is about to go and somebody else is coming to take his place. A generation comes, a generation, or a generation goes, a generation comes. And what does the earth do? Yep, there they go again. Nothing changes from the earth's perspective. They just watch it all happen over and over and over again. I remember 22 years ago, Mandy and I on our, on our honeymoon, we went to uh, Cancun and we got to visit some Mayan ruins. This place called Chichen Itza. I thought it was called Chicken Pizza at the time, but it's called Chich- Chichen Itza. <laughs> it's like this crazy, cool Mayan pyramid. But you know what I didn't see there? I saw all of these ruins. I didn't see any Mayans. (laughs) They're all gone. And they've been gone for a long time. They tell me the greatest generation, what it's called, is almost gone. Then there'll be the boomers. Then there'll be the busters. Then there'll be the Xers. Then there'll be the millennials. Then there'll be the Zers. And the cycle will continue over and over again. Mount Rainier was here before you were born. And unless it blows up, (laughs) 
It'll be here after we're all gone. It is watched generation after generation. It's a cycle. Verse 5 calls our attention to the sun. And he says, look, the sun goes up in the, it goes up and it goes down. It rises in the east, it gets tired, and it goes down in the west. Kind of like many of our day. It goes, like you get up in the morning, you get tired, and you go to bed. I used to wonder, why did dad, when he, every time he sits in the recliner, he goes to sleep? I don't wonder that anymore, right? <laughs> and so it's just this endless thing, isn't it? East to west, east to west. It was there in Noah's day, it's there in great-grandma's day, it's there in my day, it'll be there forever. It just goes around and around and around. Oh, not just east and west, but look in verse 7, he talks about, he talks about north and south. Now, actually, in verse 6, he talks about north and south, so let's go to the wind first. In verse 6, he says, gusting to the north, turning to the south. So he talks about east and west in verse 5 with the sun, north and south. You got the wind just going around and around and around. He, he lived in the tri-city. I mean, it just goes one way, and then it goes the other way. And then it blows the other way, and then it blows the other way. And it just happens over and over again. Verse 6 talks about the wind. In verse 7, he looks at the water cycle. He says, look, the streams flow into the sea, and yet the sea is never full. The water goes back up to the top, and they keep flowing. Why don't the seas fill up? This is wisdom. He knows about the water cycle already. He's thinking about these things. It just goes back to the top and flows down and goes around and goes around goes around and it all just happens it's a monotonous cycle life can feel like that can't it I washed dishes last night I got up this morning and I looked at the sink <laughs> where, where did that come from <laughs> I mean who knew that every day of adulthood that adulthood that a significant aspect of adulthood really is just washing dishes <laughs> over and over and over again. The clothes hamper was empty. And you moms know what it's like. I just washed. And now it looks like a pop bottle that somebody shook up and it's overflowing all over the floor. It just goes again and again and again. I look at that, I look at that file on the, on the wall that I have at my house and I say, I've paid bills in May, <laughs> right? Why, why is it full again? And it, I empty it out at the beginning of the month and it fills up again. And I empty it out, and it fills up again. And I email. Oh, I got my email to zero. And then I go there on Tuesday. And what do you find? Ah, uh, really? A hundred emails, most of which are utterly meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Anybody with me on that one? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Social media, you swipe down, and all you get is more cat memes and virtue signaling, right? <laughs> what goes around comes around more and more of the same. In verse 8, Solomon says, you can't say enough, see enough, or hear enough to be satisfied. 
People speak. People have more opportunities to speak than ever. They can speak their mind and their peace on social media. And many, many do without any filters. And they just speak out into the world. And everybody wants to hear what everybody is saying, apparently. And everybody says something. And, and, the, and people have more to say and more opportunities to say it than ever. But more meaningless is being said today than in the history of the world. Just having more opportunities to say doesn't give you more meaning in life. You can't see enough to give you meaning. Some of you know this because your harem on Facebook or on, on your, your feed on your, on your internet browser is bigger than Solomon's. You can't ever see enough to be satisfied. You can't ever hear enough to satisfy. People have subscriptions to, to Spotify and give you every song in the history that ever has been published and people still want more. I want more. I want more. There's no satisfaction. If I just get a license, I'll be satisfied. If I just graduate and move out, I'll be happy. Life will one day be great. I go to college. If I go to college, life will be great. If I just have a job, life will be great. If I just get married, life will be great. If I just have kids, life will be great. If I just had money, life will be great. If I just had an empty nest, life will be great. If I could just have life to do over, it would be, it'd be great. And we're never satisfied. C.S. Lewis said, The pleasure of novelty is by its very nature more subject to any other than the law of diminishing returns. Isn't that true? So verses 9 through 11, Saul, Saul, uh, Solomon finishes his opening salvo. He says, look, there is nothing new under the sun. If you ever wondered where that phrase came from, it's Solomon. There is nothing new under the sun. So is there any encouragement in this passage? <laughs> this is kind of different. This is kind of weird, isn't it? Where do we find meaning in this? Let me give you two thoughts, and then we'll finish up today. Number one is this. The sun, S-O-N, is the only one who can give redemptive meaning to life under the sun. The sun is the only one who can give and bring redemptive meaning to life under the sun. The longing of the book of Ecclesiastes is this. We don't have the answer. It's got to come from somewhere else. And the good news of the rest of the Bible is that God gives the answer that you cannot find in this world because it doesn't exist. The only answer is found outside, beyond the sun, when the Son of God entered our world and brings redemptive meaning to His creation, to His people. That is the good news of the gospel. In fact, there is only one verse in the entire New Testament that has the word futile in it. The same word that's used in the book of Ecclesiastes. And that is at the very heart of the gospel in Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, 20 and 21 says this. For the creation was subject to hevel, futility, meaninglessness. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in the hope that creation itself would also be set free from the bondage to decay in the glorious freedom of God's children. That is the longing of this groaning, sin-sick world to find its meaning only in its creator, only through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. We live in a post-Eden, post-fall world, yes, that is 
really meaningless in its sinfulness and can only find meaning from another world. And that's the good news of the gospel. John 1.14 says this, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have observed his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is the good news of the gospel, is that you can't find meaning in this world. You can't find satisfaction in this world. You have to find it from the creator of the world, and that is only found in the redemption of Jesus Christ. Solomon is, Jesus is what Solomon is longing for here. He is the, Jesus is the son of David, king in Jerusalem, that can give meaning to this world. As Jesus is the one who came into this world, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, rose again from the grave, and through faith in Jesus, you can be set free from the futility of this world. It's the answer. He is the answer you're longing for. If you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and you're trying to find meaning in anything in this world other than in Him, it will be a futile effort. Trust in Jesus Christ. He is the everlasting meaning and everlasting life. Point number two is this. Yes, Life is often mundane. There's a reason we resonate with this book. Life is often mundane. Find joy in the routine by living each moment fully for Jesus Christ. As believers, life, yes, can be often mundane. And it's a huge temptation for us to, to try to escape that mundaneness in unhealthy and, uns and sinful ways. Some seek it in pleasure, some seek it in a new relationship, some seek it in some kind of midlife crisis, some seek it in a career change that's not guided by prayer and by God. Yes, we do enjoy newness, we do enjoy vacations, we do enjoy new experiences, we do enjoy new meals, but that's really not most of life. Most of life is Taco Tuesday, right? <laughs> it comes again, it goes again. How many times have I had spaghetti in my life? I had it last night, <laughs> and we'll have it again someday. But that's okay. Learn to delight in the regular. Learn to have gratitude in the familiar. Learn to enjoy the day-to-day -day moments of life as a gift from God. Listen really close. Remember, there are many people in this room and this church who wish they could get back to the mundane that they once took for granted. There are many in this church that wish they could get back to the mundane that you're taking for granted right now. Enjoy the gifts of God, life that God's given to you as a gift from God. Be where you are. So oftentimes we live, especially in today's world, we live lives so distracted, trying to distract us from the people right in front of us, from the mundaneness right in front of us. We try to distract ourselves from these things with technology, with Facebook, with internet, with stuff, with all of these things, rather than just saying, thank you, God that the very things that I used to pray for, I actually have right now. And I praise you for that reality.
Be thankful in the moment for the mundane. Don't always long for the novel. It's like finding something funny on Facebook. You giggle for a moment and then just forgot what in the world you just saw. Anybody ever been there? Oh, yeah. So often in life. Matthew 25, verse 23, Jesus says this. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge over many things. Share in your master's joy. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. This week I encourage you, watch out for distraction. Watch out for the desire to be someone else or to be somewhere else. But instead, treasure and live each moment. Even if it's washing dishes for the umpteenth time, even if it's the tenth load of whites that particular day, it doesn't matter. Just enjoy the gift of the day that God has given to you. And when we get to life beyond the sun, in the sun's forever kingdom, the good news of the gospel is he will reward your faithfulness in the mundane, and he will reward it forever. That, my friends, is the good news that Jesus brings to those who live in a mundane, seemingly mundane world. Praise the Lord for his word. Let's spend a moment of silence meditating on these things, asking God for our response. And I want to encourage you, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, trust in him now. In only Jesus can you find meaning. And if you've been walking through life with this sense of dissatisfaction rather than being thankful for the mundane, why don't you give that to the Lord and say, Lord, increase my gratitude Increase my thanksgiving for your everyday simple gifts. Maybe you need to pray that right now.